Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name is Chris, and I'm joined as ever by Tom. Hello. And we might get a stew at some point. We're not entirely sure yet. He's keeping us on the edge of our seats. It's all very exciting. Um, Tom has completely thrown my intro by only giving me half of the intro music, which is normally what we use to know we're starting. So we're stumbling into the podcast as usual. Uh, we've got a lot to cover this week. Um, not all of it good. Um, I think what we'll probably do is all of the stuff that happened Friday night first, get all that out of the way. Yeah. Then we'll move on and talk about the race and all of the usual stuff. Um, so I guess, because we were sort of paying attention to this in real time as it went on into the night on Friday. I'm guessing not everybody is quite as nerdy as us to be <laughs> browsing F1 Twitter at whatever time it was at night slash the morning when all that was going down. So I guess to start with, we'll just kind of go over the actual facts of what happened and go from there. Yeah. So as I'm sure most people know, there was a missile attack at an oil plant about 10 kilometers from the circuit. It's, there, there was team radio during FP2 of drivers. I think Verstappen, wasn't it, thought... Something was was on fire in his car, and it was actually just the smoke from the fire that he could smell. There was then a meeting with all the drivers and team principals directly after FP2, um, which was also attended by various FIA and F1 personnel. Then there was a statement from Hamid Ben Soyaman and Stefano Dominicali to basically say, we're happy everything will go as planned. The specific quote was that they had assurances from the highest level that this is a secure place and that nothing is going to happen. They also said around the same time that they had unanimous agreement from the team principals for everything to go ahead as planned. The drivers, however, stayed in the meeting room and did so for many, many hours. They would rejoin by the team principals later on and then Stefano Dominicali and Ross Braun rejoined them at some point. All this eventually ended about 2.30 a.m. local time when all the drivers, without saying anything to the media, just kind of, I guess, went back to the hotels. Uh, George Russell, who is the Grand Prix Drivers Association chairman, went to race control with the team principals before they all left the circuit. And then it was Alex Wirtz, who is the director, I believe, of the GPDA, or is it the way around? No, yeah, he's... I can never remember who's the director and who's a chairman, is, but aren't Vettel and George the chairman of it? And Alex versus the director. And yeah. versus the director. Yeah, I think that's how it works. Yes. Uh, so he released statements on their behalf to say that an agreement had uh, been come up with by which they would continue with the race weekend. There was a lot of reading between the lines to be had within that statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's been confirmed today, as was suspected, that there were a percentage of the drivers that didn't want to continue, and it's been pretty widely reported that at one point in that meeting, the drivers had unanimously decided that they wouldn't be continuing, and it was only after whoever whoever it was, but I, I assume it was sort of FIA and F1 representatives that convinced them otherwise. There was also reports around that the drivers have been told that if they didn't race they might have trouble being allowed to leave the country but other journalists have disputed that claim um whether that's true or not 
there's definitely previous examples of that. I think the most recent one was a WWE thing where a lot of their staff were, they did an event in Saudi Arabia and then couldn't leave the country for a while afterwards for various reasons. Uh, the drivers themselves haven't said much on the subject since for understandable reasons. And over Stappen sort of said there'll be more to say once everybody is kind of out of the country. Um, Hamilton mm. just said he's happy the weekend's done and that everyone's safe and he was just looking forward to being home again. The sort of team principals have generally said that they think continuing was the right choice, but they do want uh, talks on the future of the event. Uh, there's, I think they've announced today that there's going to be some kind of meeting in the coming weeks with the drivers and F1 bosses to kind of discuss what happened and what could be learned. Um, but yeah, all kind of just messy. It felt a lot like Australia a couple of years ago where everybody mm. was watching it saying, well, this is clearly not going to be able to happen. And F1 kind of just kept saying, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's it's fine. fine until yeah, it's going to happen Friday morning with fans at the gates. They finally sort of admitted defeat. Obviously this time it still went ahead, but there was just that same kind of F1 and the FIA trying to carry on as normal and say as little as possible on the subject and... Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing with it is it's yet another kind of black mark against this circuit and race, isn't it? Like, mm -hmm. they just stack up. <laughs> yeah. And it is yet another one. And, I mean, there's a lot of bad ones, but I would say the entire event being at risk of a missile attack is probably the worst one of the bunch. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I... I do think as much as at the time I was very much hoping they'd call it off, ultimately I think the right choice was probably made simply because it would have been one thing for the drivers to say we're not racing and walk out and leave, but obviously mm. all the rest of the team personnel can't just up sticks as well. There's, you know, a whole pit lane full of stuff that would need packing down. It's, you know, it's... They weren't making that decision just for them. They were making that decision for the whole team. Yeah. I think that is ultimately why it's gone ahead the way it has, isn't it? Yeah. It's more the fact that there's obviously a risk of it being very difficult to leave if it doesn't go ahead. I mean, they're almost being held to ransom to a, to a degree in that, aren't they? Like Their safety and ability to leave the country is almost holding them to ransom. Yeah, it really um, is. And it's, it, I don't envy anyone that's been there this weekend, no matter what level they were there at, whether, no. you know, from the from the drivers themselves all the way down to like media personnel who were following it, because they've all been affected by it in the same way. Um, uh, I mean, how, how many years did this circuit get assigned to, may I ask? Do we know? Do we remember? So initially, it was supposed to be, I think, two years of the circuit, lot, and then it, it moved on to a longer-term thing at a different circuit. They're saying now that it's likely to be at this circuit for longer because the purpose-built mm. ones are going to take longer to... But I, to my knowledge, I've even started building that one. Um, I, yeah, Sarah in the chat saying 10 or 15 years. I think it's something yeah, like it was, that. Yeah, it was quite insanely long. Um, I'm pretty sure it was double digits as well. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know. In the same way that we're not going to Russia, I think 
the events of this weekend are a very good reason to look at the situation. I mean, there was good enough reasons to not host a race in Saudi Arabia anyway, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think I don't think anyone that knows us thinks that we ignore that situation. We just don't, for obvious reasons, talk very politically here. Like we don't, you know, there's a lot of topics we don't get into, and it's more just of we will have our own opinions and how we feel about it, and we tend to keep them off the podcast and keep it strictly about the sport. But I think, I mean, what what would they have done if something had happened? Is all I is all I could keep thinking after this weekend, after Friday, and especially when. Uh, you know, you've got the FYI president and the head of F1 came out and said nothing is going to happen. Like, you can't yeah. stand and make a definitive <laughs> statement like that. Like, if something had then gone on and happened, like, at the least, at the very least, that would have been the end of both of their careers. Yeah. But, like, beyond that, that could have had huge ramifications for, you know, the future of F1, the future of the FIA, let alone anybody who was involved in something terrible happening. Like... It's... I mean, the the other, uh, obviously, like, factor in it that had most of us, in, you know, outside of that situation worried is the fact that it was an Aramco depot mm. that was attacked in the first place that was, like, what was it? Something like nine or ten miles from the circuit yeah, when like it got attacked. And it, it is... I mean, I'm laughing because of the absurdity of it, really, but to say, like, nothing will happen here... When the building that's the facility that's literally been attacked is plastered, the race is plastered in that company's yeah. branding. It's, yeah. yeah. Just everything coming out of F1 and the FI about it was just so. We're going to pretend everything's fine until it's not, which is kind of often their way of doing things. Yeah, sadly, it's, it's quite typical of FIA and occasionally yeah. from. It's disappointing. It, it wouldn't surprise me if the GPDA in the aftermath of all this basically say, we won't be going there again. Like, you can book a race there if you mm. want. You can force the teams to go there, but as drivers, we just won't be going. Yeah. I mean, slightly unrelated, but also potentially semi-related. There was a attack on a vehicle at, was it Dakar? It was Dakar, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Now, I mean, I hate to be like sort of pessimist, like worst case scenario, man. But when when something like that has happened so recently, how can you go into an event like this and say, we can assure you nothing will happen when mm-hmm. something as significant as that has happened so recently? Yeah, exactly. And there was Formula E race. I think last year there was a rocket intercepted near the circuit. Yeah. And then, and then, for good measure, like in the most blatant example of, for want of a better phrase, the FIA just having their heads up their own asses, they managed to book the race on the anniversary of the attack that started this entire conflict that is still going on. And like, if that's not mm. just having blinkers to the rest of the world, I don't know what is. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know, on top of all of that, the dri- a number of drivers were carrying on from last year, just expressing concerns about the safety of the circuit itself. 
Like, I mean, I, I know Perez called it the most dangerous track on the calendar. We obviously had Mick Schumacher's crash in qualifying, which caused him to miss the race. Um, F2 driver, um, who was it? Oh, Jem Balutbasi. Uh, he had yeah. an almost identical crash to Schumacher, actually, if you see them side yeah. by side. He had a concussion um, after that and missed the race. Um, it's just like all these things add up to... The, I think the, the thing that stuck me most after this weekend, I think it was Chris Medland on Twitter, who's a F1 journalist, very much worth following if you don't already, said something along the lines of, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, Charlie Whiting used to say there are a number of races sort of many years ago where he remembers getting on the plane home after the race and sitting there and thinking, well, we got away with that one. And the feeling in Saudi Arabia this weekend was very much the same. Like there was so yeah. much potential for that weekend to have really gone south and yeah, F1 kind of dodged a bullet and got away with it. But I suspect and kind of hope that that is going to be the last time we go there. But also, this is F1 we're talking about. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I know I'm definitely in the camp of I will not miss it for any particular reason whatsoever if it's not there next year and it doesn't go back there. Yeah, I, th- I think like an awful yeah, lot of people I, are in that camp as well. I, I mean, we'll talk about the race in detail, obviously, but for me, it's even with these new era of cars, it's essentially just turned into a, uh, I mean, it still is, it was, and it still is a circuit where the nature of it means you can, you can attack and, and make a move into turn one, probably the last corner as well. That's about it. And Mm. nobody wants to make a move into the final corner because as I'm sure we'll discuss. Yeah, exactly. Because of the implications of doing so. Well, Verstappen said at some point over the weekend, like massive parts of that track, at least for F1 cars, are, yes, they're twisty corners, but they are easily flat out. So they're no more challenging than a straight. So why not just make them straight? By adding all these twisties, all you're doing (laughs) is adding danger. That's all it adds because you can't, there's no racing through there. There's no additional challenge for the drivers. It's just an extra layer of unnecessary danger. I mean, the the thing that highlights that element of the circuit most to me is like Emily doesn't watch every weekend with me. She she like sometimes she's working, sometimes she's busy, whatever. Like she's not she's not there every weekend. This weekend she happened to be there, and the thing that she noticed was the fact that like it, it was funny really because she said, "Oh, did they not like have the because they used to have the thing around the halo, didn't they? They're like the digital." kind of hood around the halo oh, when yeah. you went to the onboards and they've kind of scrapped that for just the, the traditional sort of down the bottom overlays. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, oh, it was really, really sort of give me some context of the speeds that they were doing because of that, you know, when they went on board. Yeah. And then lo and behold, like the things popped up along the bottom for her. But like the things she pointed out from watching that was that like basically, so they just flat out all the way through this lap. And I mm. said, more or less, because... Even the corners that they slow down for, it's it's like a lift almost. Yeah. Is most of them, and it, like do, three she was like proper at, braking zones. Yeah, she was like looking at it, like going, "Oh wow!" So he's like basically lifted from 180 miles an hour down to 120 for that yeah. corner. I was like, "Yeah, pretty much." <laughs> like it's ridiculous, and it does like 
one thing that it does do, or it, do, it did showcase, the, I guess the positive I will take away from it is it showed that these new era of cars appear to be achieving their goal of being able to follow... That is true. ...and, and still maintain um, aero benefit because okay. the number of people that were able to try and make a move into turn one and if it didn't stick, then stay within a second very close behind the car and then make a move the next lap or vice versa like they'd make a move into turn one and the person who was overtaken was able to still stay with them for a whole lap and try and regain the position there was definitely a a positive that came out of what we saw there Uh, like i mean ocon and alonso's battle or you know leclerc and verstappen towards the end of the race like he definitely showcased that, but that was all it was good for me. Yeah. It was it showcased the fact that it's now possible to to follow people through those kind of corners, whereas it wasn't before. Yeah. Another interesting thing I heard over the weekend, I listened to one of the practice sessions on Radio 5, and I can't remember the guy's name, but it's someone who's fairly high up within uh, Silverstone messaged mm-hmm. into them, and he basically said... At Silverstone, we are having to spend millions of pounds on safety improvements that the, therefore on the FIA have requested. And then you look at this race, at this brand new purpose-built circuit, and you just think, well, why are we having to spend this money on safety when apparently this circuit just got a free pass on it all? Because yeah, it's... Yeah. You know, I mean, Silverstone has got plenty of space <laughs> around it for cars to run into, and this has none. Silverstone are definitely the first circuit to jump up and go, woe is me, why do we have to do they this? It, look look at us, but <laughs> on this occasion, they, they are correct, point, I think. Yeah. Um, like, they can complain very easily at very little sometimes, but I think this time they may have a point. Yeah, they do have a point. Right. I think we should, like, not dwell on this stuff anymore. Um, mm. As I say, I... I both suspect and hope that it'll be the last time everyone goes there, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Agreed. let's let's move on and talk about the actual stuff that happened on track. The race. Um, and we'll start with Perez, who pulled his first pole position out of absolutely nowhere. Like the Red Bull didn't seem to have the pace the Ferraris had at all. Basically, until that lap, like yeah, I mean they, they went they went far behind, but it looked like it was Ferraris yeah. for the taking, didn't it? Realistically, like the it it looked like it was going to need Verstappen to pull off a lap, like he almost did last yeah time we were there. If he was, if anyone was going to get Paul and one not being a Ferrari, um, but yeah, it. Insane lap from Perez. Like, even he was like, I could I mean, drive it, a thousand more laps and never pull that lap time yeah, off again. It, it was very much reminiscent of what Verstappen almost did last year. Yeah, it really was. Except he achieved it. <laughs> yeah. He so, made it around the last corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, super impressive. Um, as with most things Perez does, it will know as where it's just like up and down the pit lane, everyone was like, yeah, good for you. Well done. Like it's, yeah. some of the um, Aston Martin crew were kind of celebrating with him because obviously he was there until yeah. quite recently. 
there for a long time. Yeah. Sadly for him, though, um, race didn't go his way. I mean, the opening stint pulled a sort of nice lead. He was maintaining the gap. It was all looking pretty good for him, but it's just safety car timing, wasn't it? There's yeah, there's there's nothing you can do about that. Um, they it was doubly unlucky because they kind of fell into Ferrari's trap a little bit, didn't they? Ferrari were like, oh, uh, box to overtake. So Red Bull brought him in, and then Ferrari was straight away like, oh, actually, let's maybe stay out. But obviously, Ferrari could have known what was coming. Um, yeah, do- it was. I mean, it was the Latifi effect again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. The kingmaker. <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, my favourite bit, by the way, I'm just going to point this out. I know it's been probably said a lot, but, well, it depends on what coverage you watch, I guess. But my favourite bit of Perez's poll is the whole, on the anniversary of 11 years from his debut, Yeah, car 11 gets his poll. Yeah. Like that's I, I like the sort of symmetry in that, um. But yeah, I mean the whole Ferrari thing, it it just uh, Ferrari thing. Sorry, the safety car thing, like handed it back to Ferrari, and sadly, I mean, it even handed it to his teammate as well, didn't it? Yeah, it, it really did. It just it kind of took Perez out of the race for the podium almost, which is a real shame. Yeah, that was the minimum he deserved, I think. Oh yeah, Do- he deserved the podium minimum. Do you think, without that safety car ruining his strategy, do you think he would have won the race without that? Um, I mean, he seemed to be holding them. He seemed to be maintaining the gap fairly, fairly well, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think he would have had to defend. I'm not saying he would have just walked away with it or anything. Had he been able to walk away with it, he'd have probably been fighting more i mean what also didn't help is the fact that he was sort of in that mix um during the safety car and then there was the messing around having to like science back through because of who got to the safety car line first and that was honestly extremely extremely borderline like cheeky from (laughs) red bull because uh, their argument will always be well we give the place back but like what it ultimately took away from us was signs in theory should have been able to attack Verstappen. Yeah, absolutely. And Verstappen should. should have not not just been attacking Leclerc, knowing his team maybe was behind him, but what he should have been doing is essentially like moving towards an attack on Leclerc whilst also having to defend from Leclerc's teammate. That's what he should have been doing and kind of robbed of that because of what I would say is poor uh, like poor stewarding I guess at the time like they gave the place back because they knew they would have to and it was very clear he was at the safety car line first and rules is rules it's black and white it's black and white rule isn't it (laughs) Stu just barrels in with no introduction (laughs) hi I'm here the thing is Red Bull had the perfect excuse for it though it's like oh well if we'd have let him through before the restart we'd have been at risk of getting a penalty for you know, over- well, I guess Sainz exactly. could have got a penalty for overtaking under the safety car without being told, which begs the question, why didn't the FIA tell him to give him the place back? But mm. Well, Sainz had this no opportunity. Sainz didn't get the opportunity to attack Verstappen either, did he? Yeah, exactly. Really yeah, this. that's, that's yeah. literally the point I was making just as you joined. 
This is like it, it robbed it was... us essentially of Verstappen having to simultaneously attack and defend from the Ferraris. Yeah, because that, was... that's a pressure he should have been under realistically. Absolutely, it, it's, and he got away with it last year as well. He should have been under attack last year at um, Abu Dhabi, and he wasn't. Mm. Yeah. And but it was the, by science, uh, science should have been yeah. able to attack him, and he didn't get the opportunities. Yeah. That's twice science has been robbed of opportunities to attack Verstappen in two safety cars. Yeah. But at the same time, you could argue that Red Bull in the process robbed themselves of Perez being able to attack because the way it happened, Perez was definitely ending that first lap in fourth place. If they'd been able to swap places before the restart, you know, he could have had a chance at attacking signs and getting third back at the restart. But well, yeah, I guess in. In uh, no, there's not an advantage to giving up the track position, is there? But there's there's a logic to the fact that they could have still attacked on the restart. They, yeah, there's never and, an advantage um, to giving up position, but there are certainly more advantageous ways of doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. but yeah, all in all, mm. pretty unlucky for Perez. I I agree with you, Tom. I think he probably would have won that race otherwise, um, especially with Leclerc and. Verstappen going to see each other like that would have just given if even if that have caught Perez up that probably would have given him the opportunity to pull away while yeah, they were I think, scrapping I think he had enough in him to to have defended or I yeah. mean at, at least it would have been similar to what we got anyway which was you know a duel for the lead for the last five or six laps or whatever mm. it was like back and forth and a little bit of gamesmanship between him and probably Leclerc out of the two of them you just yeah. said but, the way it was going so Promise him for the rest of the season that he does seem to more so this year than last year at least be able to match the pace of Verstappen or at least get yeah. closer to it. Um, yeah, promising stuff. Hi, Stu. How's it going? Hello. Um, <laughs> Good of you to join us. Yeah, not too bad. Um, pretty hectic at work, so I can I imagine how long I'll I'll be here. Well, I've, I mean, I've closed all my chats and stuff, so I can do this. So. <laughs> <laughs> if i can't message you there's no work for you to do right exactly basically <laughs> uh right let's let's talk about the and verstappen um they both I, just, I, sh- I should point out actually before we go any further i should point out that i'm on a break <laughs> like i haven't just like <laughs> sacked off <laughs> okay carry on uh so they basically end up running identical strategies uh, as did signs actually because they just pitted under the safety car virtual safety car the gap sort of hovered around like second and a half, like 1.7, 1.8 for most of the race. But sort of at the point the VSC ended, the gap was suddenly down to 1.1, I think it was, which I, th- I think that was more Leclerc allowing the gap to close a bit than Verstappen. You know, Verstappen obviously hadn't done anything naughty to close the gap under the virtual safety car more than he was allowed to because he'd have got found out if he had but um the gap definitely yeah. shrunk under the vsc which was shouldn't happen but did it always does though doesn't it uh, like it's yeah just, like, you, you can count it's impossible to count how many times that's happened like yeah. so many drivers on the field and they can't keep track of everything at the same time you'd think they could keep track of these things but yeah it, i guess it's not a flawless system is it like there's always no. going to be some gain and yeah, loss because it's down to how good the driver is at keeping to the delta Exactly, and the the answer to the question would probably be, well, he's kept to the delta better than you, because the question yeah. on the radio was, how has he closed that gap? That's not fair, and the answer is, well, he must have kept to the delta better than you, yeah, because if, if dash- he's not, he would have had a penalty. 
So yeah, if your yeah. dash says <clears throat> plus point three and his says plus like point zero five, then it's kind of all on you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. and there's there's wiggle room as well. There is like a margin for error as well. Yeah, they're not expected be. to be like on bang on the money. I think yeah. I think for the most part, as long as at the point it restarts, you're not you know underneath the delta, then they don't really care. So as long as you're keeping the it best, in the positive. The best thing to do would be like when you put too many cars on a scale electric track and they all just move <laughs> around at exactly the same speed no matter what you do. And yeah. they all just stay together. Just do that. Just like me. Nope, 60 mile an hour, mate. National speed limit. You mm. I mean, you, 70. You, there is an argument to say they all just put the pit limiter on. Yeah. Yeah, just do that. Just put the pit limiter on. But... We're getting way sidetracked here. I'm going to drag us back, <laughs> kicking and screaming to the right. No, we're talking about the important I was, I was, things. I was enjoying that, but carry on then. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's talk about some Leclerc v Verstappen wheel-to-wheel racing round two. And initially, Leclerc managed to pull exactly the same trick that he did in Bahrain by <laughs> letting him pass so he got DRS and then repassing him, which... I, I suspect Verstappen would be a little wiser too, but he definitely got caught out with the first lap or two, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the the crazy bit of all that for me was definitely the I'll lock up to make sure I'm behind you at the, yeah. at the DRS line. Like I don't, that, well, that I was don't a think bit that was intentional. <laughs> I'm not I mean the lock up wasn't intentional, but the sheer rate of I must slow down before yeah, you yeah. cross, yeah, before I cross the line. Totally outrageous, wasn't it? Oh, are you on yeah. the brakes? Oh, I'll break a bit harder then. Oh, are you breaking harder? Yeah. I'll break I'm, even harder then. You should I mean, see he, the 11 that Verstappen left behind when he tried, because obviously yeah. Leclerc like, sent it. And then, um, yeah, Verstappen like tried to do the same thing, just spun up his rear wheels and could not get any traction yeah. in order to catch it, which is why Leclerc just pulled away on the straight in that situation. Um uh, and then he was whinging on the radio that he'd crossed the, he thought he'd crossed the uh, thingy, like the pit entry line as well. And he was whining yeah. about that on the radio. That was just so lame. Yeah, that was a bit meh. Mm. Um, then, then the third, sort of third time they went, well, they were not side by side, but they were close into there. Verstappen backed out early to try and get DRS. And it just kind of looked like Leclerc just let him. Like after all these shenanigans the first couple of times the clerk just seemed to roll over and let Verstappen have the DRS the third time which was a, a bit disappointing because as soon as he got DRS like that was it the Red Bull had the higher top speed all weekend he was always getting past into turn one yeah I um, I think I, I don't know if it, if it was the thought process or not but like there, there might have been an element of Basically, he's going to come past sooner or later. I'd rather be the one behind for the last couple of laps to get past when it really counts. As in, like, he ultimately knew Max was coming past him at some point in those last few laps. Maybe his thought process was along the lines of, let's have a couple of laps of DRS for myself. Yeah, it was almost like kind of oval racing, wasn't it? Where, like, you're almost better off being in second place going into the last lap because you get the final slingshot onto the straight kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like, I, I don't know if you would take that risk, but and to be fair, when, when you know it, when you know he's ultimately coming through because he has 
got that pace, like your opportunity to outdo him is probably to get any slipstream with DRS, isn't it? Mm. In theory. And it may well have worked for him because he was about to have a go on the penultimate lap, but there was the yellow flag for Albon, yeah. which stopped him. And I think that was probably his best chance at retaking the lead, and he lost that, um, which was kind of a shame. But, like, they both came out of it with smiles on their faces, having had a fun time. Obviously, Max had a slightly bigger smile, but it's it's funny, isn't it? We're in that early stage of the season where there's a race like that, and all the drivers are like, wait, that was really Way. good fun. Like, yeah, yeah. if that yeah. same race was in the position on the calendar it was last year, that would be like, <laughs> be far throats. more, yeah, far more yeah. acrimonious. I, How do we feel about, like, that safety, uh, that um, DRS line being where it is then before the final corner? Um, because I think it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I think it's a really, really <laughs> dumb place to put it. It's when it's affecting the way drivers break for the corner. Then yes, yeah. Um, especially with how powerful DRS seems to be this year, and I, I almost suspect there's going to be some kind of tweaks because they do change the length of DRS zones and the the point of the detection lines year on year. And I think after these first couple of races, they're probably going to be making a lot of them shorter for the re- remainder of this year. I hope so. Cause yeah. the- I mean, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say the, the risk of moving it backwards for me is that you would potentially get DRS, then overtake the person into the corner then have DRS to pull away from them. Yeah. So, well, like, yeah. do it after the corner. Pull, pull it, well, that's what I was about to say. Like, if you were going to move it, it either wants to be like at the corner exit or very quickly afterwards so that mm-hmm. you, like, essentially, you've either got the position and you're defending from DRS because the other person will be in, will be behind you in the exit of the corner, or you hang back on the corner, like, in a more legitimate fashion to then pick up DRS on the exit. like Yeah. And you you, you, you choose to not make your well, move, it essentially. It, sh- it should be in an acceleration zone because that solves yeah. the problem because then you're not fighting yeah. on the brakes to be the first one to cross the line yeah. or the second one to cross yeah. the line. Exactly. It's, like a, it's a weird, weird race of who can slow down in the most nuanced way. Yeah. yeah. As like much fun really as it was, it was, it was kind of a repeat of what was going on with yeah. Verstappen and Hamilton last year. And yeah. That could very easily have turned into a similar situation where someone ran into the back of someone else. I'm like, surprised it didn't. I'm really yeah. surprised it didn't. Yeah, especially I mean, when they're all locked up. I mean, yeah, and, and I'm also going surprised to the corner at a 45 degree angle on that lap. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't move it for this year based on what they saw last year. Like they've obviously yeah. deliberately left well, that in, knowing that yeah. there was going to be silliness going on and shenanigans. Hmm. Uh, again, insight from like, um, sort of. I don't watch Formula One corner with Emily. She saw Max Verstappen do that and said, "Did he not crash into someone doing that last year?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, you're not you're not far off. It led to the incident where where Lewis hit the back of him." And she's like, "Yep, that's what I'm thinking of." And I yeah. like the one thing she remembers from last season, <laughs> other than the Abu Dhabi, is that. And she like literally saw it repeating and was like, "This has happened before, hasn't it?" <laughs> so. But still, all very good fun and entertaining. It's already looking like, yeah. at, the, at least for the first chunk of this season, those two are going to be the battle. Yeah, um, big time. Yeah, which so far so exciting. So I'm, yeah. I'm here but for it. But at the same time, I'm excited to see Mercedes get in the mix. I was saying this to someone yesterday. Like, I mm-hmm. really, really want those sort of those two to be in the bridal 
right up in the all the way back up. Yeah, and they'll do like Russell and Hamilton. I think will both make an impact in that re- in that in that fight. Yeah, I totally um, agree. So when they do get that car, and the, I've got no doubt they will get that car up to speed. That that it's very clear that like where they've you know the way that car is going during races and the performances that the drivers are getting out of it, there is huge potential to unlock in that car once yeah. they find the sweet spot. Russell sort of found himself in a weird bit of no man's land, didn't he? Like he was clearly ahead of those fighting in the mid pack behind yeah. him, but just off the pace of Ferrari and Red Bull. Like, and there was a point where I can't remember the exact times, but it was something like 20 seconds behind the front four, but 20 seconds up the road from well, everybody else. And he was like, just stuck there in the middle really even even (laughs) after the fairly late virtual safety car by the end of the race he was still 20 seconds behind and 20 seconds ahead like he's just had a very lonely race um good pushing like hell the entire time as well oh yeah he he really was he was really pushing it um but yeah a really good weekend for us actually like qualified really well um i mean obviously hamilton didn't but they basically made a uh, setup choice on his car that just did the opposite of what they wanted by the sounds of it. Mm. Um, yeah, that was the first time Hamilton's been out of Q1 on pure pace since 2009, which is... Crazy, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, he was one of the ones that started on hards. He managed to get as high as sixth place. Had an opportunity... Yeah, so we had the opportunity to pit into the virtual safety car, but didn't. Um, so... If you listen to the radio, they they told him to box as he was coming around the final corner and there was no reply. Then, obviously, he went past Ricardo, who was in the pit entry, and then they told him to box again, at which point he said it was too late. So it's it's hard to tell if he didn't get the first message or whether he just saw the car in the way. He's obviously been done in yeah. the past for entering a closed pit lane, whether he just in that moment decided to stay out. Um I think when you see it from the onboard, like it looks like a bit of a squeeze to get into that pit lane yeah, without crossing the line. And if you go over that pit lane, if there's a car parked there and then you go around the car and your wheels go over that line, then you're in trouble. Like you're going to get exactly yeah. ruining your race weekend. Yeah, but the the thing that I was talking about this in the Discord earlier, like the thing is, it's it's about if you go inside that line and come back out of it, that's when you're in like serious trouble. Yeah. To to be avoiding that car and then come in is not the same sort of issue because i which is I which is why there was absolutely zero problem with you, i'm not saying you couldn't but the 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 hard and fast rule that's the problem is to make the move as though you're going into the pits and then coming back out across that line that's the really significant no-no and that's the thing that like verstappen for example was trying to like nitpick out when he was chasing Leclerc was well he's crossed that white line he, he shouldn't yeah. be coming back out it's, Which, it's the thing that they, they told him to stop doing in Brazil for example because Brazil that was infamous for them going across that line and then coming back out mm-hmm. because the racing line went across it and that that is obviously the the more dangerous of the two but I think when if the pit lane has been left open like it was what K-Mag and um, Hulkenberg, they were the other two that pitted at that, at that had to go around Ricardo essentially to pit. I think they've safely like 
avoided the incident that has caused the yellow flag and entered an open pit lane. Like the the second the second that they threw the yellow flag to the safety car, anything like that, they knew why they were throwing the safety car, which is there's a car there. So if they want to close the pit lane, it needs to be closed immediately. At the you know they need to be doing both at the same time by throwing the safety car and not immediately closing the pit lane. They're essentially saying, if you can safely enter the pits, do so. Because which the, for me those drivers did. Yeah, the, totally. the, the rule basically <clears throat> says. If you're entering the pit lane, you need to be in that lane before the, the white line without crossing the white line, unless there's a very good reason not to. So yeah, that they had, you know, there was a pretty obvious good reason not to. In yeah, the but form that, of I mean, stage that's car. such a vague, that's such a grey <laughs> area, is. though, isn't it? That's such a yeah. vague, and then it, it must, it they is. must be so fearful of that stuff after last season. All it's the a judgment call at that point, bull, isn't it? Yeah, all the crap that they got for yeah. really, really minor transgressions last year. Of course, they're going to be like, you know. Dipping a toe in the water on the dip. Is that oh, the right yeah. phrase? Of course, yeah, they're going to no. be cautious. Yeah. They're going to be really mm. cautious about this sort of stuff. So I All don't know. Of... I think I, I, they aired on the side of caution and it, and it kind of ruined their race a bit, really, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. All of this said, yeah. though, the pit lane should already have been closed at that point. There's no way. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And that, that's, that's sort of my point is they knew exactly why they were throwing the safety car, so they should have been closing the pit lane at the same be- time. It should have been well. It wasn't a. That was. It was only of a virtual safety car, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was, was a virtual. Sorry, at that um, point, it I think, should yeah. have been a full safety car straight away. You got marshals running around on track yeah. and cars whizzing past them at completely two hundred miles an hour. Absolutely mental that that wasn't a safety car. I can't. I was shocked that they didn't put a safety car on a track with point. almost entirely blind corners. Like, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, fair enough. Point it's the, it was along the straight, but still, like, yeah. It's just too dangerous to have people ruin it. What if someone has a Verstappen had a tire blowout along a straight in Baku? Yeah, um, a couple of years ago. What if that yeah. something like that happens while there's marshals attending to a car? Yeah, it's, it's only you know silly it. little things like that can cause yeah. awful, awful accidents. Should have um, been a safety car from the moment that car stopped where it did. I mean, look at what happened to Latifi later in the race. Like he mm. he essentially lost it with doing a bit of a correction out of that final corner. And yeah, I'm not saying he's ended up where they were. But all it takes is for that like barrier on that far side to chuck him back out or something, yeah. and mm. he's he's immediately in that area that there's marshals and and what have you dealing with a broken down vehicle. So yeah, yeah. I went, I it, went it should have been a full safety car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I went back and rewatched it earlier. It took more or less from the point. Ricardo came to a stop. It took roughly a minute and a half for the virtual safety car to be called, which is how. Oh no, sorry. It took um, for the pit lane to be closed. Sorry, and the virtual safety car was shortly before that. Like it's just too long. That's way mm. too long, especially yeah. when again when you've got marshals running, literally yeah. running down the straight. To the just car. <laughs> that just should be non-negotiable. Mental, absolutely mental. Um, yeah. Another good point Sarah made in the chat was that when Lewis came past, Ricardo was still rolling forward, whereas by the time Hawkenberg and K-Mag got there, he'd come to a stop. So that probably helped them make the decision it was safe to come in slightly easier. To get around yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, because you're not going to want to overtake a moving vehicle in the, yeah. In the pet entry. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, Hamilton went until after the restart to pit, which dropped him to 12th. He managed to get back up to 10th in the end, at which point he had to ask if there were even points for 10th place. Yeah. <laughs> Shows how long he's been knows, since he was down he, there. He knew, he knew, he knows the Yeah, that was a bit, of a bit of a jive. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Quick mention of signs. Uh, podium again, but kind of looked off the pace of the top two again. Uh, his race was kind of ruined at turn one, I think, when he lost position to Verstappen. Um, because he sort of he kind of got stuck behind his teammate, didn't he? And Verstappen was <laughs> yeah. able to get by. Leclerc was one hundred percent more concerned about not letting signs around his outside than anything else in it that moment. That way, I'm telling it? you now, he didn't do any favors. Like, except, yeah, like at the time, I, I was sort of saying, like he's definitely done that because he doesn't want his teammate coming past him, but he's inadvertently put Verstappen directly behind him. And out of those two scenarios, in if I was in Charles Leclerc's position, <laughs> I would have probably rather had my teammate signs behind me or at least like having a look around the outside than Max Verstappen coming down the inside. Like of those two scenarios into turn one, I know which I'd personally prefer yeah. if I was Charles Leclerc. And it just seemed a bit like an over defense of science, which I mean, he's not going to be bothered ultimately in the sense that he kept the position. But in hindsight, if he'd have had signs between him and Verstappen, signs could have essentially been backing Verstappen up for him while he chased Perez. But at the same time, I think signs was looking more at getting past the club than he was defending from Verstappen. So I think there was bad to be honest with you. It's turn one, but like... I mean, I, I just know where my priorities have yeah, been in that no, situation fair. is all I'm saying. <laughs> Who's next on the list? Alpine. That was fun. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> Spent however many laps damn near taking chunks out of each other. Some some yeah. ropey defense from Ocon at one point. It's, it's his trademark defense, that, isn't it? Put him in the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I had flashbacks to Spa for sure. So there's something about pink cars that just makes teammates like magnetically yeah. attracted to each other. <laughs> See red. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you saw on Sky Sports after the race, they were interviewing Ocon, Lando and K-Mag at the same time. And they yeah. they actually asked, asked like Ocon about that fight kind of thing. And Ocon was like, oh yeah, you know, in the end it was all fair racing mm. as they were showing that defense. And you saw Lando and K-Mag both sort of go, was Ooh. it? Are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> They were they both like not winced, but like you got the little little bit of a side eye, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. because the comment was you guys won't have seen this yet, but this is what you did <laughs> yeah. earlier, Esteban, and they were both like, ooh, <laughs> um, watching it, spice, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was great to watch, all very good fun. We like to see it, but from a team point of view, it just slowed them down massively. Oh yeah, Otmar um, was just yeah. head in hands, shaking his head on the pit wall. Bottas <laughs> behind was just like, mm. thank you very much, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> But then that's Bottas, and, and he had a really good opportunity to get by both of them and did what Bottas does best and didn't overtake. And, and yeah. <laughs> uh, Alpines were running, running eighth and ninth for a while, but then Alonso retired with a loss of engine power. Uh, Ocon eventually finished sixth. Like, de- decent enough race for them, though. Looked, yeah. looked pretty solid. Yeah. Next, McLaren looked a bit better. Hard to say mm. if that's circuit or improvement, but definitely looked a bit better than Bahrain. It's because yeah. they didn't need to use the brakes that don't work. It's <laughs> a good point. Oh. <laughs> Seems how the brakes not working is a very crucial part of their problem. I would say that probably helped matters. When you go to a track with only three braking zones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and super fast circuit as well as so loads of cooling. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, they're 11th and 12th in qualifying. Ricardo ended up retiring on the cursed lap 37 uh, with similar issue, loss of power. Norris finished in the points in 7th. They're off the mark, got the first points on the board. So Again. that's a mis- yeah. just a, a quick note. Mercedes engines actually didn't do too bad this race. It looks like in the race. Uh, it depends on how much you attribute to the fact that six cars didn't finish. Yeah, true. I, guess. I mean, two two didn't even start. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they gave it gave him a leg up immediately. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, I suppose. But Gasly finished what like. Yeah, Ga- Gasly was uh, eighth. Gasly way, finished eighth. Yeah, wasn't he? yeah, yeah. So he was off behind, than I expected like, him and to he, be. Yeah. He, did, he, yeah. he did have a um, personal issue as well the whole time he was driving the car. He was yeah, in a bit of a bad way. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he finished a good what twelve seconds or so behind. Um, actually, no, not he's like eight seconds behind Lando. But I don't know how many yeah. of those seconds he lost in those last few laps when he was in immense pain. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sounds oh, the radio that he did after that sounded really rough, man. Like yeah, he, like he was really, really struggling, really suffering. Like it's awful. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun picture that uh, Sarah just shared of Pierre Gasly, <laughs> just having his uh, having his belly looked at by a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> but he, like he was up. <laughs> he was doing interviews after the race, saying how much pain he's been in. And it's like, well, why are you doing interviews? Go yeah, and go see to a doctor. The hospital. Yeah, yeah, that's not normal. Deal with it. Did, it, did anyone uh, find out like exactly what was wrong with him in the end? Was it just? Like, I don't really think anything's been said yet. Um, yeah, bringing not, up not bringing all new yet. meaning to the term Pierre Gasly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pierre Gassy, maybe. Nice, 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 nice. Gastric. I'm sorry. Pierre I'm Gastric. Sorry. Lowering the tone. Yeah, Gastric. Moving us on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hass. do it. Has looked good again. <laughs> Good old pace yeah. in that car. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Magnussen, 10th in qualifying, 9th in race. Had some really good battles again. Um, good old duel with Gasly at one point. Another one with Russell actually had had a pretty big fight with Magnussen at one point. Um, yeah. Again, just looked very happy to be there. Having a great time. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I had one car in the race after Schumacher's crash in qualifying um which i believe i'm right in saying he was actually cleared to race but the team basically elected not to race just yeah. because of the, the amount of work it would have been yeah to yeah. rebuild the car i mean the gearbox literally fell out of it as it was being hoisted up yeah, yeah. did you see that and it was like dangling yeah. down like one cable and the guys yeah. were all looking yeah. like has anyone got a pair of scissors like <laughs> an interesting thing i read so obviously the car looked a right mess afterwards the gearbox falling off was just a result of it being a massive crash. But the kind of the flex between the engine and the monocoque was by design. So yeah. one of the changes that were made after Grosjean's crash in Bahrain was that the connection points between the engine and the back of the monocoque need to be to break off easier. So in the event of a big crash, all of that weight breaks away rather than acting like a pendulum and yeah swinging the bit with the driving yeah, around yeah. more so yeah a lot of the way that car broke was actually a very good thing even though it looks super dramatic yeah yeah um good yeah, to see, good to see, see it was okay 
Yes, very good to see. Worrying yeah. that. It was a very, very, very scary one. That one. Huge. I, I was yeah. really worried for um for a well for a good period of time while there was yeah. While I didn't want it took a little while to get him out. Where, where, um, yeah, it took him a long time to get him out. But yeah, all good. Walking around, healthy, ready for the next one. Uh, last sort of team with significant stuff to talk about is Alfa Romeo. Um, Bottas, despite his struggle to overtake, was running pretty well. He obviously got through to Q3 again. He was running the points for um, a decent time, but he was the third of the the cursed lap 37 casualties. He had a cooling issue. It was weird that like there was a good period of like 15 or 20 laps in the middle of that race where literally nothing happened. And then lap 37 came around and just everything Everything. went insane. (laughs) Um, And then uh, Joe had, I would say he, after like a really nice positive first race, it was a bit of a like, right, back down to earth, you come sunshine kind of race for him. Bit of a shocker, Um, wasn't it? Yeah, so he had basically the same clutch issue that Bottas had at the start in Bahrain. He had here, which dropped him all the way to the back. Um, He then got a five-second penalty for passing Albon off the track, served the penalty in the pit stop, except he didn't, um, which the team have put down into a communication issue. Basically, the front jack man didn't know there was a five-second penalty. So as soon as the car came in, he was like, up you go on the jacks, and then wondered why no one else in the pit crew was doing anything. Uh, I thought it was because they were behind the safety car at the time that he stopped. Nope. They, he got lifted up on the jacks, and the yeah, second you touch touched the, the car, car. Yeah. you aren't serving a penalty anymore. But what, I'm, what I mean, sorry, is, is he not right in doing that because you can't serve the penalty behind the safety car? No, As I in, don't think there's the, a, the, the Jackman is the only one doing it right. You can't save the penalty behind the safety car. I think you so. Can. He's can he's done his job. I don't believe you can. Hmm, interesting. Uh, really? So I, actually, I, I he was the only that. correct Chat one, possibly. Exactly. That would be my Tom's point. Right. He was the only one doing it correctly in theory. So, well, either he was wrong or the rest of the pit crew yeah. were wrong. But either way, yeah. he had to reserve the penalty. But um, the, 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 my understanding of that rule for the record, is that it's there because it's to stop you essentially just waiting it out in case there's a safety car to minimise the damage of the penalty. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to do it within uh, three laps of getting the penalty, though. No, that's not the stop time, Not the time Oh, that's the t- oh yeah, it's a time yeah. penalty, sorry. Yeah, a, yeah, a, time, yeah. a, time pe- a time penalty on uh, just a five-second or a ten-second time penalty is done at your next stop or applied to the end of your race time. So maybe, is it maybe then that stop goes and drive-throughs can't be served behind the safety car, but time penalties can? I think it might be. Possibly. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a loophole there. Yeah, yeah I don't think we're, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think it's a bad idea to dwell too long on this because yeah. we clearly don't know. <laughs> well, that said, um, Joe did get back up to finish 11th. So actually, I mean, I know there were retirements, but still a decent drive all the same, but yeah, a bit of a nightmare for him. Um, and I think that's covered like most of the important things that happened. Uh, Hulkenberg finished against a stroll again, which is obviously super embarrassing for Lance Stroll. He's not having a good <laughs> year so far. Um, yeah, I think that's all the things. So I think we can move on and do some. That's all the things. Do some awards. Do some awards. Yeah. Who do we want to pick as driver of the day? 
And I'm actually not coming into this with the name already in my head, so I need to think about this in real time. Yeah, me too. Um, <clears throat> I did enjoy watching K-Mag. Mm-hmm. Um, his yeah. moves at the start were excellent. And some really good racing from him. So I'm going to go... And, and it was a good result for him, so I'm going to go K-Mag. Second racing and he's, and he's outperforming his... Well, <laughs> not much choice. Second racing and he's won it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, of course we gave him it last race. My, my my suggestion for this is probably Lando Norris. Like I know there's an element of opportunism for the cars retiring ahead of him, but you know to to be in the position to take advantage of that and then still have a duel with Ocon towards the end for sixth. Like they in theory shouldn't be anywhere near that. Um, mm. So I'm uh, probably a little bit biased from my angle of support, but from I think that was my suggestion. From your, from your mm. fan love. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were only four other manufacturers that finished ahead of him, and the McLaren is not the fifth fastest car right now. So Yeah, exactly. It's a fair point. Um, I th- you could make an argument for Verstappen, I think. Um I think winning the race is uh, credit enough, though, isn't it? Yeah, but like it, it, in a car that was, um, he was the second fastest car all weekend. Yeah, he, the pace was there. He used the advantages he had well. Um, after initially falling for the close trap, he kind of outsmarted him to make it stick. Very, very good drive. The official one was Leclerc again, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it might have been. I mean, prob- probably helped by the fact that the voting ends with about five laps of yeah, the race he was left. Still leading and at that point, run. he was still winning. Mm. But the, he ah. was the official one. Okay, do you know what? Sarah in the chat has just posted the picture that's convinced me it should be Magnussen again because in qualifying, <laughs> his neck, his neck yeah. just went and he basically spent yeah. the race with his neck and shoulders just strapped up. So yeah. for that yeah. reason alone, I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, it looks like someone's drawn like a stick man on the back of it, <laughs> doesn't it? Kevin Megson is a stick man. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he, towards the end of the race he was leaning his head on yeah, he was the outside of the of the cockpit rather than on the inside of the corner of the turn <laughs> for the cockpit. So yeah, he was done by the end. Um all right, what about move of the day? Ooh. I, I don't think what I, I know that we can't give it to Verstappen because it was a DRS move for the leader race. It wasn't the most exciting. It was drove past him kind of overtake, wasn't it? Yeah, like, it was yes, kind he of like, set yeah. it up well, but ultimately he opened DRS and drove past him. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. Leclerc accelerating, accelerating away during the sort of weird <laughs> shenanigans was a, was a nice move, I would, I yeah, would say. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Nice defensive move. Yeah. Um, the opening, I mean, there's the Al- some of the, op- the opening salvos was there was some really good racing there as well. Yeah, there was Magnussen and Gasly on the first lap was really good. Um, yeah. and Obviously, then, the Alpine stuff we've talked about. As yeah, well. Norris got Gasly on lap two, which was very good as well. Yeah, um, I think maybe I think I'm maybe leading towards when Alonso finally got past Ocon into turn one. That was a pretty that was light brakes ballsy move. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that I mean, as well. I, I could go for that. I I enjoyed the whole Alpine thing, so I'm happy to give it Alonso for this. All one. right, let's do it. That was really good. That was really enjoyable, the whole thing. So, yeah. And then finally... Honestly, what the f*** are we doing here? 
Get the negative things out of the way first, because I feel like we've maybe had enough negativity this podcast. Okay, is that is that because I joined it? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was all way before you joined. All right. Um, obviously, taking like a minute and a half to close the pit lane when there was a stopped car at the pit entry was ridiculous. Having marshals and recovery truck on the track before the safety car had picked up the pack with a car dangling in the air. And we had a similar thing in F2 as well. Like That was all just really bad. Um, Just lap 37 in general then, as they're saying in the chat. All of lap 37. I think it's just lap 37, yeah. (laughs) You know what? I could go for that. I could totally go for that because that just all seemed to happen at once. It just all went a bit It did. It all came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah. after the Alpine battle, I was sort of thinking, oh, this race is quieting down a little bit. Like mm. I'm I'm sort of struggling to find the same sort of action elsewhere. And then lap 37 came and just went, what's that? Do you want something to happen? <laughs> like <laughs> explosion of what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to give it lap 37. Yeah, I can go with lap 37. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Done. We have an accord. Let's move on uh, to predictions, which is normally your uh, yeah, domain, let's, Tom. Let's cover some predictions. I mean, Stu's sighing and moaning <laughs> there, which is probably worthwhile. I mean, between the three of us, we got one point. So we're just the worst example in the world for this yeah. actual event. This difficult um, predictions this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I got Latifi's first DNF. That was all that's worth talking about. 15 opportunities between us to score points, and we managed one. And we got one. Yeah. At um, this point, we're going to need to put our combined <clears throat> score on the leaderboard for us to even stand a chance. Yeah, yeah. That's, maybe I mean, we should. <laughs> I don't in, in, our, in our slight defence, the highest score this weekend was two and a half. Oh, wow. Overall. Okay. So, I don't feel so bad then. Uh, yeah, so Philip Sandberg got two and a half. Uh, Max is a winner. Nicholas Latifi is a first DNF. And then nobody got the number of finishes. Um, so the closest was uh, what Philip Sandberg said of 14. So it got half a point there. Um, yeah, I mean, the majority of people who scored more than a single point basically had Max and Latifi. Yeah. Max win, Latifi first DNF. If you didn't have that, you didn't score more than a single point pretty much. <laughs> is, is the general summary of Predictions League this week. Um Tying things up a little bit at the top, so we're down to just ten people tied for the lead this week. <laughs> um, most of them are the same people, so I'm I'm not going to run a list of names no this week. But you've all got you've all got four points. Names, yeah. <laughs> Go to backofthegrid.com and check if you want to see for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of fantasy, we have a new leader in the grid rival fantasy league of VB Motorsport who's jumped up into first place and knocked team orders down to second. And we have a new third place, who is Carlos Leclerc, which I believe is Jeff from Discord, Mr. Ferrari himself. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) but I believe that's you, Jeff. Um, And then over in the official F1 fantasy, team orders still lead, uh, Battery Voltas still second. But third place has been taken by um, the default name of Team One, which is from someone called... Is that uh, me? Sha- Shaheen. Shaheen, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Oh. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people just called Team One in Apple <laughs> Fantasy, to be fair. Strong name. <laughs> Strong name. Yeah, I- I'm just called Team One. I should really change that. I think I'm called <laughs> Green. My classic Greenwood Festival of Speed. Is my yeah. I so, might be Team One. I'm Team NFT, yeah. which stands for Nice Freaking Tyrrells. <laughs> because you're not allowed to swear on there, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Nice. Shall we finish up by dipping into the inbox? You guys can. I'm going to have to go. Well, it's okay. been lovely to have you, Stu. Thanks for joining been, us for the middle been, segment of the show. It's been lovely to be with you. I will see you all uh, for the next one. Hopefully, I'll be around. Enjoy your evening. One. Bye. Is. Uh, keep me saying now. Stay, stay out. Right. First question this week from Jose. Two races into the season, what are your feelings on the new race direction? In my opinion, given Bahrain was great and this last one was a joke, they averaged out to a 5 out of 10 so far. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a whole world of improvement to be made after. The thing is, I'd be interested to know how much of it is like directly race directions fall and how much of it is... Rogue marshalling is probably an extreme term for it, but all right, Christian. Like, do you know what I mean? Though, just like essentially uh, an actual instance of what Christian Horner once tried to describe. Mm. Like, essentially, they're like, "Oh, there's a car there that needs to be dealt with. Let's go deal with it." Like, <laughs> not not waiting to be told to do so, and that it's safe by race direction. Wes in the chat has said over exuberant marshalling, which I like. Yeah. Over exuberant marshalling, that is the one. Um, uh, there, there might be an element of that, but I do think not closing the pit lane and the tractors on track with cars running, like I, that stuff is inexcusable. And that's the stuff I hoped would go away with yeah. Michael Massey leaving. And it's a shame that we've already seen those sort of things happening again. But yeah, yeah. I, I can kind of agree with that five out of 10 average across the two races so far. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's if it is severely alternating and a pattern occurs, then you start asking questions about a particular race director, don't you? Well, so I was it say. the alternate race director this? Yeah, the okay. swapped the swap for this weekend. Interesting. So we'll keep I, an eye I, on that. Pattern. I don't know who will be in Australia. I've not checked, but it would obviously be interesting to see, uh, like how how it pans out, because you, you may know it. This is the different. This is the difficulty with having an alternating race director and not having multiple race directors every weekend. Like, I know that Herbie Blash is sort of there as an advisor permanently, but um, oh, Paul's saying that it, had, it was the same, but I'd heard that it changed. Never mind, I'm wrong. <laughs> so there's no, there's, no, there's no excuse there then. Um, Sarah also pointed out in the chat that last year... There were marshals from Bahrain sort of supporting the new marshals at the race, but they didn't have any this year. It was maybe a little bit premature to just leave them to it on their own. That's that's kind of what I'm guessing is more the case, is that it's not been helped by... Uh, like, like I say, it's, the, the intentions are pure and, like, good. It's not obviously a... It's not a bad instinct to see a car stricken that needs to be recovered and trying to deal with that situation but the inexperience leads to a huge lack of safety and ultimately puts way more people in way much more risk than they would have if they left that car there and waited until and i mean it's all pure speculation you don't know what did and didn't happen but yeah of course i i just like i mean the nature of the circuit, 
the nature of things like that, you know, not having the support of experienced marchers from another circuit and, and you know, just factors lead me to believe that there's there's at least an element of that, even if it's not solely the, the reason for it. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll angle five out of ten too until <laughs> we see what happens in Australia, where the marshals are extremely experienced. Um, McCheco was saying, should they have uh, should they have a look at the drivers' tactical braking on the approach to the DRS detection zone? I can see it becoming a regular occurrence with the new regulations and this style of racing that they've brought. Uh, perhaps they should just nip it in the bud early before an accident or incident occurs and someone gets injured. I mean, it's this circuit specifically, isn't it? You don't really see it anywhere else because the DRS uh, detections are better placed. I but we guess. had it. We still had in Bahrain where Leclerc was letting uh, Verstappen overtake him to turn one, knowing that he could get DRS yeah, and re-overtake. And I guess the wider question is: Is that the way we want racing to be? The the difference for me with Bahrain versus Saudi Arabia is. The detection point for that is after the turn. So yeah, yes, like um, what's the word? Like letting you have the corner. I can't think. There's a word beginning with S there that uh, <laughs> I was going to use, and I don't even know what it is. But yeah, I just got an S. I'm like S S S. I was going to say secede, but that's not what it is. I don't know why I was going <laughs> to surrender. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe. That's not the word I was thinking of, but that'll do. If you're going to surrender the corner to, to somebody and essentially let them have track position into the corner, it's very different to the heavy slamming on the brakes and messing around that we saw with the detection line in Saudi Arabia. Um, and ultimately, the Saudi Arabia... Saudi Arabia... can't even talk there. <laughs> Saudi Arabia version is the worst of the two. I would say, um, mm-hmm. I guess I guess they just have to be like logical about where they place them. But I think they're always going to find some way of trying to take advantage of it, or, yeah. or stop or potential loss, whatever the case may be, depending on which situation you're in. I, I do hope, yeah, they do kind of do some tweaking to detection points and stuff as the season goes on. Hmm. Uh, next question from Wesley. Is it me or were we almost watching two races at the same time? Better on-track duels such as Fernando and Esteban, might we see the likes of Red Bull and Ferrari open up even bigger gaps at the front of the field while the midfield cars fight for position? I mean, it does work in the front runner's favourite, doesn't it? The fact that the midfield are going, you know, tooth and nail behind mm-hmm. them, slowing each other down. It does help. Um, I don't mind that to a degree because I'm seeing good racing. And here's a, here's a difference for me a little bit in terms of TV direction. They stuck with the Alonso Ocon battle throughout. Like a number of years ago, to not well, not even that long ago, like a couple of years ago, probably. All you'd have seen is Verstappen consistently three seconds behind Leclerc. Or, no, what, what was the situation? It wasn't that. Sorry, it was Leclerc behind Perez at that time, wasn't yeah. it? So you'd have just seen Leclerc lapping like two or three seconds behind Perez 
and it'd have just been showing those two and there'd have been nothing happening and we'd have occasionally got on a replay out of the Esteban Fernando fight and credit to TV direction they actually stuck with that fight and showed it and it, like the whole the whole vibe was well there's nothing going on at the front right now we're showing this yeah and you didn't used to get that until more recent like this season and last season I think my only complaint so, would be they were a bit too eager to cut to replays. I've seen a few people complain about this. They were showing you replays yeah. of what's just happened while it was when still going happened. on. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were a little bit eager on the replays, but the fact that they were watching the fight as it unfolded in the right place for me was a definite improvement, at least. So I don't mind there being a gap to the front runners if we're seeing the action and there is action, but. I guess in the same vein, you'd like that fighting to be going all the way up and down the field so that the pack stays close together, mm-hmm. I guess. The, the front four would probably just be too cagey yeah. compared to the middle mid, mid-packers. I think that's what that is. Uh, next one, Sarah says, with recovery tractors on the track uh, while cars are running in both F2 and F1, as a safety car was deployed but the field had not been fully picked up by it. Um, will we have to have another accident um, before the routine around the deployment of the lifters and tractors is looked at again? I mean, I, I sincerely hope not. Um, Agree. I hope this is something that the drivers make a point of because yeah. sometimes it feels like until the drivers complain about things, they don't really get listened to. Um, but yeah, it was, mm-hmm. didn't enjoy seeing all of that. Um, whenever there's tractors on track, especially a track like this, you have to make sure cars are going slowly and you know where they all are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially like on a track like this, where the tractor will be on the track or the recovery vehicle will be on the track it's more important than ever to have them bunched behind the safety car to give you that huge window of time to mm-hmm. operate in safely and then essentially stop what you are doing to allow the safety car train to pass the incident and then continue with it. Yeah. Like that's that's the ultimately other than stopping the cars completely, that's the safest way to deal with it without like completely halting the race that's the safest way to deal with it. And that's the difference between a virtual safety car and a full safety car for me is if an incident needs that amount of on-track attendance, I guess, to deal with it, it should be a full safety car, really. We talked about it earlier. The the car's been stricken in the entry to the pits. Mm. Should have been a full safety car. The pit lane should have been closed immediately. Like, the safety's got to be paramount to the entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout. Uh, next, Danny Page says, a lot of people are saying the regulations are working because of the battles, especially between Max and Charles, but the cars are most certainly not for a lot of teams. Should there have been more testing of these cars or will we just have to wait for teams to fix them? And on a similar note, Kilowog asks, if we continue to see reliability issues across the majority of teams, do you think we'll see enhanced development or wind tunnel time granted? Yeah, it's a shame that teams 
are struggling the way that they are. Um, teams that you wouldn't expect to see struggling. I mean, struggling is probably a bit of an exaggeration for Mercedes' situation, but they're definitely not where you'd expect them to be and where they want to be. Um, McLaren is definitely more of a struggle than it is anything else. Um, but, I mean, the here's the thing for me. like this This situation could be taken both ways because the way I look at it is, look where Haas are. I mean, yeah, fair enough. They took an extra year to develop that car and essentially sacrificed last year. They're reaping the benefits out of it. And if that was their prerogative to essentially sacrifice 2021 to have a good run at 2022, all power to them. It's their car. It's their team to run that way. And they probably saw more benefit to a successful 2022 into a new era than uh, kind of trying to just get by in 2021 um so for, for me it works both ways like mm. teams teams gain teams lose um and in a way it's a little bit of a nice i mean this is me as a mclaren fan talking as well it's a little bit nice that it's when some of the bigger more powerful teams are the ones that don't quite get it right and struggle like Mercedes and McLaren. Like, I'm, I'm less downhearted about the McLaren situation <laughs> because I'm really enjoying watching what Kevin Magnussen's doing in that house. Um, I'm really enjoying like the fact that Alpha seemed to have done an okay job with the car and Bottas is up amongst those midfield runners and out-qualifying the Mercedes or at least one of the Mercedes... Uh, the first couple of weekends like there's there's pluses and negatives to both sides of it I think and it depends on which lens you're looking through as to um if it's good or bad yeah so totally I, I I would say maybe yes with such a significant change maybe like a third test or or something like that or so many miles of private testing would have maybe been worthwhile because it was a big change. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if we've got any extra time testing when we moved to the hybrids, but it'd Not be interesting off, to look back Off the top of my head, I don't see. think there was. I don't think, the, I don't think the testing rules were as strict back then, though, either, were they? So No. Not as strict as they are now. So, yeah, I, I mean, to, to answer that part of it, I think maybe if there's a certain level of changes, extra testing should be maybe initiated before the season, like an extra session. But, but then it's all cost, uh, isn't it? Well, yeah, I guess. And in a cost cap era, yeah, difficult. Mm. Um, next, Toby Godfrey said, how far away are Merck re in reality? I feel there's a lot of hope that they will turn up in Melbourne and blow everyone away. But I do feel in reality, given how far away they are, it's more like five or six races before they're at least able to challenge Bearing in mind, everyone else is also pushing their development. And Michelle also said similarly, uh, what is going on with the Merck power units? And Jeff also added, how long do we wait before we say that a good chunk of the problem with the Mercedes-powered team's lack of performance is down to the power unit changes and maybe even the fuel that they are using and not just the designs of the cars? From an aero perspective, that'll mean, obviously. Yeah, um... I do think, like, we, we talked a bit about the engines last week, and I actually 
thinking about it more, think I was maybe a bit premature saying it is an engine thing. I think we're going to need a few races at different places to really see if that's part of it. And and again, like we said last week, I don't think it's one problem either. I think it's a lot of things working together they need to solve. Um, yeah. But they were what? Russell was about nine-tenths off pole uh, over the weekend just gone. You don't find yeah, nine somewhere tenths, around you that. don't find nine tenths in a week. Um no. they're they're not gonna be at the front anytime soon. It's gonna be Yeah, I mean what was Toby said is gonna be more like five or six races. I think five or six minimum probably would be my guess. Yeah. But I yeah, but I, I mean, do also uh, have confidence that they will close that gap. I I, I still stand by that. I don't think things will start dropping into like a, a proper order until we start hitting like Spain and the the European stretch. Yeah, I, mean, I know we go to places like Imola and stuff before that, but realistically, Spain is where the biggest updates come, definitely, and where you start seeing things fall a little bit more into place. So I kind of stand by what we were saying there earlier in the year. I mean, I can't remember if it was like pre Bahrain or post Bahrain last week, but. We recently said Spain at the earliest, and I asked kind of stand by that, I think. That said, I think we will probably get some updates at Imola just because because they go yeah. straight on the road after Imola. Like you saw well, actually there's only one race between Imola and Spain, isn't there? So it's not like they're away yeah, for ages and can't bring updates. Imola, then we jump back over to Miami then and then Miami, we come then back. Spain, yeah back to Catalonia so but yeah around I all mean, around then Imola, Imola works for updates for some teams I guess it'll depend on what they want to put on and and how desperately they feel they need it I mean it works better for teams like Alpha Tauri and Ferrari who are of course based in Italy yes exactly. um, I mean Sauber Alfa Romeo uh, I think their factory is still in um Switzerland? No, where was their factory? I'm trying to remember where. Yeah, they Switzerland. Based themselves. They're still, Switzerland. They're definitely still based out I think there. Whether they there. build, I think they do. Yeah, pretty sure they are. Yeah, because I, I mean, like, that team is still essentially sober. Yeah, like the, all I'm thinking is teams like that could be more likely to bring a bigger package than the rest. Yeah, because of the location. Yeah, I mean, I know teams fly a lot of stuff a lot of places, but they do try and keep that to a minimum. So yeah, definitely. Be, be interesting to see. Uh, next from Garrett do you guys have a favourite historical driver and do you see a spiritual successor to them on the grid thanks for a great show <sighs> the question me and Tom are now both asking ourselves is does Mika Hakkinen count as historical <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess what what is historical <laughs> I mean there's, there's a lot for me like even though I'm someone that has watched a lot of F1 over my lifespan, i.e. most of it I've spent watching F1 <laughs> since the the beginning of the 90s, I spent a lot of time watching that with my dad and obviously sort of having my dad's experience of watching it for decades before me joining him watching it as a youngster and going back and watching old races with him and watching them off my own back. So I don't know. There's a lot through the year. I mean, 
there's a lot of the British drivers that I always pick out that stand out for me, like Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, James Hunt. Um, but I mean, I was I was lucky enough to be old enough to understand Senna's time in the early nineties. I mean, I missed some of the stuff in the late eighties and it like very early nineties. Mm-hmm. I missed seeing like him and Prost duking it out for titles at McLaren like live there. Although I was born, I'm like too I was too <laughs> young to actually remember it. Um, sadly, but yes, yeah, it really depends. Like it, it tends to usually be the British drivers for me. If you force me to pick a non-British driver, probably Nicky Lauda. I think was a huge part of what I enjoyed watching about races in the past and the Jackie Stewart and Nicky Lauda really stand out for me as well because of the things that they did for the sport as a whole in terms of say, safety and, for the, same and reason. the drivers in from the GDPA I mean I don't think it was always called the GDPA back then but like Jackie Stewart was a huge part of that and so was Nicky Lauda um, whether it be from like experience of their own accidents or losing those around them um, so yeah, there's there's a lot to thank for people like that. And honestly, I think if I was thinking of drivers that ooze that kind of vibe for me at the minute, it's probably Seb Vettel. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I'd have said that about him 10 years ago when he was at Red Bull fighting for his titles. Yeah, but these days... I thought he was a reckless little so-and-so. <laughs> but, but more mature Seb now is very much of that ilk. And I really like Seb now, and I've matured with Seb, I guess, in a way. <laughs> like I, I've I've seen him go through from where he was to where he is now, and I, I like him more and more each season. Essentially, like yeah. you know, he he uses his platform to stand up for people. He he makes sure he himself and his fellow drivers are safe and mm-hmm. not taking undue risks, and and so on and so forth. So yeah, I think the whole arc of like the wider. Th- thought process of what is involved in F1. Jackie Stewart, Nicky Lauda, and then the modern day equivalent is probably Seb Vettel, I would say. Yeah, that that was I was gonna make that same comparison for sure. Um I think Graham Hill always comes to mind as well. Like I think if you think back to that era of F1, he just whenever yeah. you see him like old interviews, he was just like the quintessential, like suave, <laughs> funny, yeah. just like playboy F1 driver, but in a sort of endearing way not in like a obnoxious way um yeah yeah i've always liked seeing him good question of that but yeah i like that it's something a bit different but if we're allowed to go if we're allowed to call 1998 historic then yeah i I mean hackenham was a big part of my full-on conversion to mclaren i I always liked them but his the, the late 90s with him and Coulthard and what that team became at that point was a big part of where I am now in support, I guess. Yeah. Uh, last one for this week. Uh, Lucy Monaghan says, how do you think the dynamic between Sainz and Leclerc will play out as they've been very close throughout the season? Uh, will we have a repeat of Rosberg and Hamilton or will this be different? Sadly, based on the first two races, I think the gap between them is going to 
grow too quickly for it to really be that much of a thing um how dare you i don't want it to be true like but (laughs) i really don't want it to be true but science science does need to sort of really fight back in these next few races and have himself in that fight to the front because two races in now he's been a pretty distant third obviously Mm -hmm. finished second at Bahrain, but for the most of the race he was a distant third hope that's, yeah, I hope I'm I, wrong, but that's my fear. I'm still holding on to my previous comments, I guess, of I think different tracks will see them like ebb and flow between who's on top. I mean, I think Leclerc with this car is, I guess, throwing down the, the gauntlet of this is why I'm like, the number one guy and you're here to back me up kind of he's he's making a statement early isn't he and, and making sure that he's the one that's i don't think he liked basically i don't think leclerc liked how close and even ahead of him at times science was last year no not and leclerc's come out of the gates fighting this year of i'm starting strong and he's probably done a lot of work in the off season to make sure that that's the case so I'm um I'm hopeful for science, but I do think like Leclerc is basically taking Stu's criticism on board and up to his game. <laughs> yeah, basically. Proving that he isn't overrated. <laughs> if Leclerc wins the title this year, you can all thank Stu, basically. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, you can thank Stu if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that brings us to the end this week. Uh thank you. As always, everyone, for listening. Thank you to our lovely Discord crew for listening live. Uh, if you want to join that little family, you can go to backofthegrid.com. No, you can't. You can go to patreon.com forward slash backofthegrid, and that's where you can see where to get involved with all that stuff. But a good idea would probably be to put a link on the website. I think there is actually one on the website. You know, you might have not been that far off. Oh, let's say I'll check for you. Let's say I was correct. You, you, you're right, back of the grid. Dot com and there's a link to the Patreon. See, I, so. I shouldn't have doubted myself. Uh, while you're there, you can also check out the Predictions League, see how you're doing if you've been entering so far. And if you haven't, you can sign up for free so you're ready to enter for upcoming races. You can also go to the Fantasy page there where there are links to our Grid Rival page and also our official Fantasy League page as well. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and all of those things. And I think that's it. So we'll be back in a week's time to preview the Australian Grand Prix for the first time in a few years, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. But until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye.